0: Welcome to Lift and Love Conversations, where we are building a supportive culture around LGBTQ families in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Allison Dayton from Lift and Love, and I will show you how to lean into your spiritual discomfort to deepen and grow your testimony of Jesus Christ.
1: And I'm Jenny Hunter of Jenny Hunter Coaching. I will help you identify obstacles that could get in the way of sustaining healthy relationships and realizing the blessings of being an LGBTQ family. Each week, we will bring you lessons we've learned through our own lives, the experiences of families we've worked with, and conversations with amazing experts.
0: Hello. Hello, ladies. <laughs> we are here with Lisa tensmeyer hansen from Flourish Therapy and we are super excited to have her on today. We are so for for treat. I know and we talk about her a lot in our posts but we are we are here to talk about what we can do to support our children and and ourselves as families. And Lisa, will you kind of start by telling us a little bit about you? How you got into therapy because I think that's an interesting story and then what how you got into how you started focusing on our LGBTQ community.
2: Hmm. Sure, well, hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I um, raised seven children with my husband, a little Utah town, Payson, Utah. And then after my youngest was in high school, I decided it was time to go back to school and try to make a difference in mental health in our community. My youngest children were involved in drama and music and uh with some friends here in Payson uh, we ran a little youth theater did about I don't know 13 productions just had a lot of fun wow. and in the course of that um uh, we got um to know really well and really uh highly value our um queer brothers and sisters in the and non-binaries in the um, the theater business. Mm -hmm. What we noticed was that as they grew up uh, within that community, there was less and less a place for them. That uh, as people started focusing on what is my life going to be like, they would sort of fall out of the community equation. It uh, started to make sense to me that there was not a, a permanent first class place for queer people uh in the world that my children inhabited in the world that i inhabited Mm -hmm. so when i went back to school i wanted to make a difference in that way i went to byu for that degree because i i i wanted wanted to get everything from uh i I knew i would be doing a lot of research and work and i also wanted to see what would happen there with that kind of a focus and byu is very open to that uh Some professors invited me to help teach the diversity or or provide materials for the diversity uh, section of classes. I ran groups that helped therapists listen to LGBTQ voices on campus. And uh, by the time I finished school, there had a number of LGBTQ uh, clients who were students or who were in the community. As um, Allison, as you pointed out uh, in our conversation before, The most recent BYU poll says that about 13% of students on campus
1: identify as LGBTQ+. Isn't that
0: that remarkable? Did that
1: surprise you, Lisa? Because since you were in the community at BYU and the LGBTQ community, which is kind of underground, right? Like not a lot of them know, like does 13.2 sound right to you? 13.2 sounds right to me. Mm -hmm. I do think there are a lot of people who
2: are still really afraid to come out, even at BYU. Sure. Uh, I, I, one of those common things I've heard as I work with young people is I would give anything to be able to go to USGA, but I don't dare. Or I, I went and I, I didn't dare uh, go in. Of course, that's been over a year ago with COVID, but uh, the, the idea of participating and knowing and being known is, is um,
0: pretty scary. Yeah. yeah, and USGA is the unofficial BYU um gay club, LGBTQ club, right? Understanding
2: sexuality, and gender, and allyship.
0: Yes. And it is. So, and I like that because it allows kids to be, come in under the guise of being an ally. And a lot of kids go as allies.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: But they they also can come and say, Oh, I'm here to support. Charlie Bird talks about that in his book, but Mm -hmm. I'm here to support, but they can go and be safe until they feel safe they feel they can come in safe until they feel safe enough to come out. Yeah. And um so Lisa talked about the 13.2% BYU students and might think that's really high but in um the new Gallup poll our Gen Zers who are 18 to 23ish 4 uh they identify as LGBTQ or somewhere on the gender or um, sexual sexuality spectrum at 16.84 percent which might make up you know some of those kids that aren't ready to come out yet at byu for safety issues but those numbers are a lot higher than we previously had considered mm-hmm. so yeah I, I mean what a perfect place for you to be to be studying and being there for kids so. what's interesting
2: is that even i mean it's been 10 years since i i Uh, not since I left, but since I started doing that at BYU. And professors are still inviting uh, people who have these competencies to come back and work with classes on campus in social work and in MFT, marriage and family therapy, um, and in the School of Family Life. How have you seen it change over the last 10 years? Well, when you have 16%, or, or 13%, as we might say, of uh, people on campus who identify, we have a lot of greater understanding. There's a lot more shoulders that are being rubbed with one another and a lot more awareness and a lot more compassion, mm-hmm. a lot more sense of we are all in this together rather than us and them. Uh, that's been fostered in a really warm and wonderful way. So um, now when I go to a class and I talk about LGBTQ um members of the church or the experience of being LGBTQ in a, in a conservative uh, religious setting. Classes are much uh, more supportive. They raise their hand and talk about supportive things rather than raise their hands and ask timid or concerning or challenging questions. There's just a a really, um, I'm sure it's not universal or we wouldn't have had some of the um, flyers that were put around BYU yesterday, but
0: yeah. So we should speak to that today. Yesterday, um, today was Rainbow Day at BYU, and I think it was the third possible Rainbow Day or maybe maybe the third uh, that has uh, that Color the Campus has put together to kind of support our LGBTQ members at BYU
1: And it's a BYU supportive day. Like they are full supportive this day.
0: Yeah. And and he's been very careful about permission to to have, he couldn't have a rally because of COVID, but he did have um, just wear your rainbow clothing. So yesterday um, we started to see these pamphlets that were kind of anti color, the rainbow uh, color, the campus with rainbows. And they were really kind of hurtful to people, like very hurtful to people. And um, it was interesting. Lisa and I were talking about this and Jenny and I have talked about it. How I feel like it it kind of mobilized the the crew against this kind of, you know, our, it's our... divisiveness. Yeah. yeah. It was and the
2: it was the opposition that created the divisiveness.
0: Absolutely. It's it's always the opposition that's creating this, right? It's always, you know, these are not like godly. Patterns of taking care of one another. No. But, so I said to my son today, who's who's openly gay at BYU. I said, "How does it feel down there?" And he said, "I've seen a, you know, there's a couple of uh, of um, not protesting, but kind of, you know, I can't remember the word he used, but there's a couple of those people around." But he said, "I have never seen so many rainbows in my life." Mm, I and love hearing that. Such a good feeling for a kid who's been trying to be open, but relatively nervous about it for Mm -hmm. a couple of years so Mm. so uh, you know direction
1: we need to keep going in
0: yeah and talk about like the rainbow you know the the silver lining around the clouds and the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow i mean like a really great day for byu so okay so how did you get from byu to flourish a full Mm -hmm. um and let's explain what flourish is okay yeah why don't you lisa Mm
2: -hmm. and do that Flourish Therapy is a five hundred one c three nonprofit mental health behavioral health clinic that offers uh, subsidized therapy to LGBTQ individuals, couples, and families. We don't turn anyone away. We do take insurance. We uh, love donations because seventy five percent of our sessions are offered at less than fifty dollars. Wow! And the, what a great service. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh. Um, as a matter of fact, 50% are offered at $25 or less. Wow. Uh, so uh, we, we endeavor to expand access. We have 20 therapists. I'm in the process of hiring two more. Um, I was telling Allison, we um, sent out 100. We had 100, over 100 requests for our application this month. And uh, we just want to keep meeting the need as it comes. We like to get people assigned to a therapist within 10 days. We don't like to have a waiting list. Individual individual therapists may have a longer waiting list, but to get in to see someone, uh, we like to be able to respond to crises, um, and um, we have good relationships with hospitals uh, that uh, have inpatient work so that we can see clients and support them in outpatient work once they're finished. So that's what flourish therapy is. We, uh, during COVID, we've all moved to teletherapy, and we can see clients all over Utah. And uh, there are also many states that allow therapy across state lines. Uh, hopefully, that will last beyond the intense uh, acute period of the pandemic. It may. People are like saying, "This is great. Why didn't we do this before?" Right.
0: Well, so. and I I have seen uh, Lisa through the years as in, at different ab, you know ally events, but um, as we have been looking to get Lipton Love Foundation going, I knew that that was going to be the pr- the priority mm-hmm. is making sure that our LGBTQ individuals and families are healthy. And so this will be, that's how we really connected was I wanted to reach out and just make sure that we could partner and that we would be able to raise funds for what um, Lisa's doing because it's such mm-hmm. an amazing thing and it's so important. And yeah. and your background and the way you've gone about it, uh, it just, it really, it just really, it feels right. I mean, it feels that's right awesome. to what we're trying to do as moms and supporting families and uh so we're we're super excited about getting that going and i awesome. i love you know the more people you have to hire awesome <laughs> well, I, I,
2: I should say, too, that we have a wide spectrum of therapists. We have therapists who uh, don't know anything about the church and uh, I identify as gay or married to same-sex uh, spouse and have children. We have transgender therapists. We have therapists who are active in the church. We have therapists who have been in mixed-orientation marriages, um, whatever, whatever. Uh, since the main goal of therapy is client self-determination and doing no harm to a client's autonomy as they try to figure out their journey. Oh, we just want to offer that there are a wide variety of ways to live a healthy life as an LGBTQ person. It's and finding your so, own journey is what matters.
0: It's so good. And it, it's so important. And just that someone that they, there will be someone there that they will relate to
1: yes yeah, and with, yeah
0: so important but i did say to lisa one day in a te- in an email like my goal is to put her out of business
2: I mean, <laughs> yeah. that sounds great
0: <laughs> <laughs> i don't mind let's
1: let's oh, not need
0: it oh, we don't want you, you might have to wait till
1: christ comes i'm
0: just saying <laughs> <laughs> we we are gonna do it before we are gonna have such supportive families that therapy will be um be able to be done more broadly. And Lisa will be able to go out and garden all day long. <laughs> amazing. Oh,
1: <laughs> it's Play giving. with all the future grandkids, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: I know, I know. Okay, so let's get into this. Let I, My first question would be, what have you learned? Um, what have you learned from taking care of these LGBTQ kids and their families? Like what? what? Well, oh, they are
2: some of the best human beings on the planet isn't it true? Amen. And that this, um, this is an opportunity to learn um, love different from whatever love meant before. That um, young people who, uh, that this is the phenomenon that uh, pe- young people who identify um, as LGBTQ as they're growing up, as they start to recognize, okay, I'm not straight or I'm not Cisgender, uh, they are usually in a family that has straight and cisgender people in it. So they, they first have to get a sense of, I'm different from my family. Oh, now what am I gonna do? I'm different from what they're anticipating or assuming my future um, is going to be. And, and so they have to come to terms with how do I value others outside of myself who are not valuing me? And that creates within them such a deep level of empathy um, and compassion. And uh, so many young people are like, I got to be patient with my parents, uh, even though that I, I don't act patient. They get it. They understand. They, they usually are more tolerant of other people. Uh, I, I just find when I am with them, I feel lifted to a higher spiritual level, just because of the kinds of thinking they have to do about how to get along with other people. It's a greater uh, investment in love.
0: Well, and like a higher love. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we talk about. I mean, it's loving is, is not easy. And here, these kids are learning to love on such a deeper level. Like spiritually, I would say they're learning the godly love. Yeah. like love in spite of the fact that that person might be hurting them. Or oh, yeah, like the they
2: experience trauma at yeah. a greater level too.
0: Yeah, but no they, doubt they,
2: about that. This is not oh, a,
0: for sure, and they are—they're—you know—they are trying to love and and learning this deeper love and are more compassionate of others,
2: which is usually more compassionate on others than they are of
1: themselves. Not a big yeah, surprise.
0: Which is yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. Which is usually yeah, human nature too, right? <laughs> like uh, for sure. ourselves.
2: And parents who embark on this journey will report that they uh, also learn a greater measure of love, uh, that the kind of love that they end up experiencing is different from anything they knew existed. Allison and I completely,
0: yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that having an LGBTQ child is the greatest blessing that's ever happened to me. And I... I've yeah. had a great life, full of wonderful blessings, yep. and some hard stuff, but some wonderful blessings. But I mean, I I've never been so close. I I would have never been so, as close, feel as close to the Savior as I do. Like right. studying, yeah, like it, and trying to figure things out, trying to love, you know, people that are maybe against what I'm trying to do or whatever it is, right? A different period. It is the
1: yeah. It is the greatest lesson of unconditional love that I would have. Ever experienced so, yes, I agree with you. It, if you um, have the gift of having an LGBTQ family member, it will change you for the better. That's just you know, the bottom line.
0: And if you look at these rising numbers, now I'm not at all saying that the numbers of LGBTQ people are rising, but certainly them self-reporting as LGBTQ or queer, those numbers are definitely rising. Like we are being given more and more opportunities to love to just really love and learn from people. So we're lucky. (laughs) We're we're really lucky. Um, Okay, let's talk about the, so we were talking about numbers of adults. Let's talk about the high school stats that just came out. And this is kind of a Utah specific thing, but I think we can kind of lay this over most states. Do you want to talk about that, Lisa? Sure, I think you're talking about the SHARP survey, the
2: student health survey, and it actually includes uh, students in sixth grade, eighth grade, 10th grade, and 12th grade. And for the first time in the last uh, survey, it's only done every other year. So we're talking about the 2019 survey. Uh, for the first time, there was a question about how, uh, what, which of these terms, following terms best describe you. And the terms that were offered were heterosexual, straight, gay or lesbian, bisexual, or not sure or other, which can include non-binary or transgender identities. And what we found out was that uh, 5.4% identify as bisexual, 1.5% identify as gay or lesbian. So together, that's just about 7%. And then not sure was almost 5%. So we have just about 12% of our young people identifying as as something other than straight and cisgender. And that's uh, in sixth, eighth, 10 and 12th grade. So likely the ones until it doesn't break them down by grade, but likely the ones that are in high school are perhaps a little bit more diverse than those in sixth and eighth grade. So that's also, that needs to be factored
0: in. So let me ask you this. and while everybody marvels at those numbers um what why did we not why did they not ask about the gender spectrums why was it just sexuality spectrum do you know anything about that why are there no specific
2: questions about uh gender spectrum
0: mm-hmm.
2: i don't have any particular knowledge but this is something that might be worth speculating on. Yeah. <laughs> and that is that it's been very, very hard to get even the question about identity, sexual identity uh, in in this survey. Uh-huh. Uh, that asking the question has been assumed to encourage people to identify in something other than vanilla. And so um, there's been a great reluctance to give kids ideas that they might not be vanilla
0: interesting yes well and I think we've been kind of fighting that forever right that idea well I, I mean I'd love to see what the numbers but I think we see in I don't know and those those the not sure and the other yeah five percent right yeah okay and there was some really really uh scary suicide out so it excuse me suicidality numbers or um for the different ages and I was mostly shocked that it was so high in junior high still
1: yeah this these numbers rocked me they yeah they're hard to hear
2: you want to hear them yes, yes. let's we'll hear need it. To share them yeah. <laughs> we are talking 8th grade here the question was during the past 12 months did you ever seriously consider ad- attempting suicide uh heterosexual young people reported 14% had seriously considered attempting suicide in the past 12 months. For gay or lesbian, young people, 59%. For bisexual, 52%. For the not sure or other, 20%. And
0: this was what grade? Eighth grade. So it's an interesting thing because I talk to bishops or young women's presidents and they're like, well, it's we're worried about, you know, we don't want to talk to the kids too young. But in eighth grade, we're 13. Yeah. And 14% even
2: of the straight kids. Yeah. Um, And if you have 14% of your kids involved in anything, it needs to be talked about to everyone. The interesting thing is when you create safety for the marginalized young people in your group, whatever group it is, you create safety for everyone in the group. If you talk about problems um, in, in a warm and welcoming and this problem is not too big for us way, whatever the problem is, you make safety for everyone in the group.
1: I love that. So true.
0: So When I was put in as a Relief Society president, I, the very first um, I can't remember the order now, but um, a nine-year-old girl attempted uh, to harm herself, and uh, a fourteen-year-old girl attempted to harm herself. In the first like two months, I was really society president, so um, it wasn't the it wasn't the high schoolers. Um, yeah. but I think the fourteen-year-old may have been just coming out of junior high into high school, or just barely into high school. So we have a problem that needs to be addressed coming out of elementary school, it looks like. That's when kids actually
2: start thinking about their future and how will I fit in uh, society? Where will I be? Um, Junior high kids, uh, one of my first uh, clients who came to me after a suicide attempt, mom said on the way to the hospital after ingesting pills that this young man said, I'm still alive. Will I have to get married in the temple? that's that was the fear this is what my future holds um they're not just like okay you know i have to think about this for a while this is intense business who will i be in the future intense pain so much yes. intense and often, pain and in anticipation of not belonging
0: well and if we aren't if we're not even paying attention and and many of us aren't we're trying we you know we how would we know that our kids are feeling like this um, we want them to not have to worry about this.
2: Yeah. But yeah. when we and tell them don't worry about it, they hear, I don't want to hear about
0: it. Yeah. And we if these feelings are there for these kids, s- straight and queer.
1: Yeah.
0: There are feelings that we need to start talking about. We need to feel more comfortable talking about them. It's not going to put ideas in their heads.
2: Oh, goodness no. They're so relieved when they find out that we're okay holding that, that it doesn't create anxiety in us to talk about that. We can just say, tell me about that.
0: I'm
1: so glad you're talking to me. I love it. Learning to hold space for your children. Yes. uh, That's beautifully space.
0: And all of us, I don't know. I was maybe a little bit more dramatic than most girls, but I remember having kind of like fleeting feelings of kind of desperate feelings. And I don't know where I would qualify my feelings of, um, just that despondency but I remember having feelings like that and being able to say to a child like gosh I remember junior high it was so hard I remember just thinking can I make it through this life and you know just opening up to your kids and being vulnerable to them in a way that's just relatable is a start it's a foot in the door like look I had a friend who I I had actually had a friend who took his life between junior high and high school and um, it was one of in fact it was this I said to my mom, cause I'd heard these horrible things like, oh, then he'll go to hell. And, you know, that idea that we used to have. And I said that to my mom and she, I said, is that true? And she said to me, "Allison, who do you think would be there first for him? But the savior putting his arms around him because he's, you know, this sad little boy. And it was just, it was, it changed the way I understood suicide in a time that we talked about it in negative ways. Mm. And she, she was like that, that child's going to get the biggest hug he's going to have the most love.
1: Yeah. You have was, a great mom. So.
0: Yes. Yeah, so she exactly. did. Well, and you know, we experienced the suicide of my brother, even in his sixties, which is, which is terribly common for older men. It is paralyze. indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's no age that it looks like that we're safe from, or that we can stop yeah. talking talking to people about this. I was going to say, we
1: said the eighth grade numbers, but do they go up on the ninth, 10th and as they kids get older? Let me give you the
2: next chapter. Yeah.
1: The next chapter is still eighth grade. And that is
2: attempted suicide at least once in the past year. For heterosexual kids, 6% in the past year, attempted suicide. Gay and lesbian kids, 30.6%. Wow. Bisexual, 307 Not sure other
0: So that gives us well over a third of our kids.
2: Mm Attempt it.
0: Our LGBTQ kids.
2: 500% over the straight kids. And this is eighth grade. This is 12 and 13 year old kids. These are the ones who are just going into young men and your Right. Just going in. And again, eighth grade made a suicide plan in the past year. Straight kids, 10%. Gay or lesbian and bisexual, 41% had wow. made a plan. I'm and we're not sure it right our 50%. halfway there. Making a plan is a, a, a serious yes. step.
1: That's correct.
0: Now, can we just stop really quickly here? Um, so I'm a mom, and a child has told me they've made a plan. I know there's a certain threshold for getting a child quick help. At like it's not called uni anymore, but like in a quick um, him uh, high Huntsman oh. Mental Health Institute. Thank <laughs> you. I, don't, I don't know that they call it him high. I know. Yes, that's even harder than you to, to get to uni. But what is the threshold? I um, I've made a plan. I'm talking about it, or I'm worried about my child because I know to get a child kind of admitted mm-hmm. under those circumstances, mm-hmm. like what. Uh,
2: If a a parent has a sense that a a child is not able to keep themselves safe, and that may be a different sort of threshold for each child. I don't know that there's like a hard, fast rule, but the the idea is, are you able to be safe until we can get to a therapist or get some help? And the question that I generally ask is, are you afraid that you might do something impulsive to kill yourself before I see you again?
0: Mm -hmm which is a very
1: straightforward question. Yeah. Right? Direct question. Yeah. Oh. And if, it, if a, a
2: child or an adult says, I don't know. And generally they will say, I don't know if they're afraid or they will say, I don't think I am. I get the sense that people in this uh, depth of despair are excruciatingly open about what they know and what they don't know. I mean, there are some people who are so tired of help that they will try to hide it, but generally they don't talk about it either. <clears throat> but if they if they give a sign that they're talking about it or if you ask directly and they respond, you're likely to get a fairly honest answer. Are you afraid that you might do something impulsive to kill yourself before tomorrow morning? A parent might ask. And if a child says, I don't know, then it's probably a good idea to take them to the emergency room mm-hmm. at the University of Utah which or is outside of Utah. with the Huntsman or outside of Utah yeah, um, any emergency but i would room, right? i would check yes any emergency room is helpful but i would check and make sure that they have someone on staff who is lgbtq competent um <clears throat> any emergency room you go to may send them to a place that could be helpful to them, Uh, but sometimes they just send them to a place that's not very helpful to them. Many LGBTQ clients do not have a good experience at the place that the emergency room sends them to.
1: And how do you you find that out? Do you just call the hospital and ask, or how do you find that out? Talk to therapists,
2: (laughs) find find a therapist and say, where, where should I send my, um, where should I send them? But generally um, the Huntsman Institute in, um, in Salt Lake is good. um, And it's worth driving up there, perhaps. Uh, I I have had clients who have reported a really good experience with um, Mountain View Hospital in Payson and um, some some with Utah Valley Regional Medical Center. But sometimes it just depends on who's on call.
0: So if I'm national, like Jenny, who's in Florida, can I, um, is the Trevor hotline or the... um, are those hotlines good for some sort of help like that? Like
2: absolutely.
0: Okay, so Trevor, and then the other one is um, there's a transgender hotline
2: that most of our non-binary and transgender clients prefer because they do not call the police. Okay, um, and uh, that seems to be what most people are afraid of
1: when they call a hotline. Okay. Uh, we'll put those numbers in in the show notes for people.
0: Yeah. Awesome. great. Awesome. Okay. Let's see, where were we? I mean, I just, I think it's so important because um, parents, we don't want our parents paralyzed. We want them thinking and asking and talking. And you can't, I, I mean, one thing I learned in my brother's death was that it's okay to talk about it. And even to me, people will come to me and they'll say, you know, is it okay if I ask you a question? And to some people, they might still be processing, but I'm to the place where I'm like, yes, let me, you know, Mm-hmm. let's not ever have this happen again yeah. To and especially, you know, it's a six-year-old, but especially an eighth grader, like let's talk. And, mm-hmm. um, I think it's better that we talk and say maybe something kind of clumsy than we don't.
1: <laughs> and here's
0: some, here's some advice to make it less clumsy.
2: <laughs> Often when we hear a young person start talking about feeling like, you know, like I'm tired of life or I am i don't want to do this anymore or I'm thinking of doing something. Um, what, whatever it is that makes parents say, oh, I got to pay attention. Often what happens next is uh, uh, trying to convince the young person that they have something to live for or that they shouldn't do this or that this is wrong. This, the anxiety of the parent gets communicated and then the child shuts down. Or they argue back. (laughs) We don't want a child arguing for suicide. It just is not something we want. Ironically, what often happens is to actually deeply hear what the child's saying in almost a repeat it back to them way. Like, ah, you're feeling like there's no hope. What happened in the last week was like devastating. Just like get it. Like I'm hearing it. What we, what we find is that when kids actually have somebody hearing them, they may still talk a big talk about I'm done, but there's something about having somebody hear them that they no longer feel it's done. It's really ironic.
0: So so good. Good A parent or a
2: listener has a really powerful chance to just say, no kidding. That's how bad it is. It feels like there's no hope. Like so really just validating. no friends at all. Yeah. Yes, that's that's exactly what therapists call it. <laughs> but but it, it can just take the form of listening and absorbing. Because when people feel like what they're having to say gets them a connection or a belonging, it's gold. Now, some people say, Yeah, they're just trying to get attention. And I say, Okay, if they're trying to get attention, they need. Attention. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's okay. What's Our wrong with that? Yeah, it. give them that. I would rather they got attention than yeah. they felt like there was nobody there. We can we can adjust the kind of attention, teach them some skills to get more healthy attention. But if they're really needing attention, remember a baby who doesn't scream and get your attention will not survive. Mm, good analogy. So good.
0: Mm. And we um gay straight or otherwise we've got kids who are who are desperate for help yeah and
2: everybody in- is desperate to connect and belong and our lgbtq young people have fewer places to belong than anyone exactly. else exactly
0: mm-hmm. so i love that that um what you just kind of hitting that one straightforward because i do think we've got to take we've got to take the um the fear off of speaking about suicides, um, talking about like worries, we've got to take the fear off that. And, and it needs to become a com- more comfortable conversation. It's never going to be comfortable, but a more regular and open conversation. A normal one, mm-hmm. a normalized, yeah. Something so we, we talk about. What can, so we we talked about parents. What can allies do? What can they do to be effective friends? And, um, what can they do to be there for people? No, allies can explain. Yeah, allies can explain stuff
2: because people in the community they get tired of explaining why. Um, I talked with a, a a young man last night who was trying to let his dad know why the Equality Act was meaningful. Just the exhaustion of having to like defend your identity as being worthy of not discriminating against and That uh, it, it's it's just so exhausting. So when allies will speak out and say, "Hey, this is why." Uh, discrimination hurts. This is why uh, protecting certain religious liberties is actually just discrimination uh, with a mask on it. Allies can talk about this kind of thing. Allies can talk about um, politics. Allies can explain about politics. um, and, And also work with other parents, which is, guys do which i love because parents do better when they talk to other parents rather than making their kids explain themselves which Mm is
0: which is really important and i think allies can like i i can speak mom to another mom yes that's so hard for a child to speak mom right how do they know how to do that and um we can we can speak to each other in in ways that we understand we can less defensive Sometimes maybe not the moms, but <laughs> other allies can be a little less defensive. And yeah,
1: and like I said to Allison, like when you become a LGBT, a mom of a LGBTQ child, you it is a different language. And to speak to another mom who has an LGBTQ child, it's like you're speaking another language, but you get the language. So it is, yeah. you it's a safe you bridge yeah. the gap. Mm-hmm. Yep, you yeah, bridge definitely. the gap in a safe way.
0: Well, and I know uh, allies can often come in and speak to like a young woman's president. A, a bishop without the the flames behind it you know the hate that he mm-hmm. as parents are like in a more credible way yeah and they can do it and in, in kind of like hey this is better for all of us it's just mm-hmm. allies are a really important part mm-hmm. and uh, and the only caveat
2: is when an lgbtq person is there to speak an ally should sit down yes until or unless Yes. We should also always be lifting voices that are there, rather than um, I don't know, yeah. usurping Talking
0: over them. Right? Well, how awesome to put the allies out of work too. I mean, we can get a lot of people <laughs> unemployed here. <laughs> and when the community is listening to the LGBTQ people, then mm-hmm. we're then we're smooth sailing, right? Then we're really listening. Mm-hmm. We're really listening. So our job okay. is
2: to lift and create paths. Yes, and exactly. to speak to people who will listen.
0: It's so good. Okay, I I uh, Jenny, do you have any other questions before we wrap up? I know you
1: Yeah, I mean since you deal with so many clients, like what would you give the best advice to parents who their children just come out or what would you say what is the best thing they could do to support their child? Uh just be really gentle with themselves
2: and with their child. Just let gentleness move over all. There is This is not a crisis. It is not an emergency. This is not a judgment on themselves or their child. This is just a time to cocoon and take care of one another. Uh, if you've said things that you regret, Go easy on yourself and tell your child, find a way to nurture yourself, allow your child to be nurtured, Uh, start reading up on it rather than asking your child to tell you too much. Uh, Let your child explore their identity with friends or online. Uh, Open up the boundaries a little bit as you start to get a sense of self rather than pulling in the boundaries and saying, we'll take care of this. Uh, uh, You don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Allow your child to sort of lead out on what what is the child ready for, and then also <laughs> run interference with grandma. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Such good advice. Oh, all you good. Know, I, I, I tell moms they'll text, they'll DM me and say, "What can I do about my parents telling my parents?" And I say, "You need to prepare your child for grandma not getting it." <laughs> Grandma might not get it.
1: No, I, and we had a mom in our last support group talk about that. And then she was like, but she, you know, my mom's always been kind of crazy with me. And and, and so I just told my daughter, she's going to be crazy about this, which I just thought that was so cute where yeah, they're going to exact same things, right? Like you just it's, expect what you're going to expect.
0: Yeah. It's an old dog and a new trick and, yeah, and just be and, kind. Yeah. And uh, expect them not to get it. And then, and then hope that they're teachable and that they're going to get there. It's interesting, though, I'm finding, and I have zero scientific anything around it, but grandparents are starting to get it. They are indeed. Absolutely. Yep. You know, It's really had, lovely to see them. I had this woman so worried, and she, she uh, DMed back and said, they were so awesome.
1: They will surprise you. Yep. What a lovely surprise it is, too.
0: Isn't it such a lovely surprise? And, you know, I think our grandmother, grandfather network, they're on the phone talking to each other about each other's uh, LGBTQ (laughs) grandchildren, and they're (laughs) teaching each other, which will be so great that our kids don't have to do it for them. (laughs) For sure.
2: Yeah. And along that line, I would say that parents should read and censor letters and emails from grandparents to young people. I have seen more devastation come from a well-meaning letter from grandma or grandpa about, have you considered, do you recognize that? That can be almost more devastating than anyone else in the family being hmm. ignorant.
0: Oh, such an important part. Yeah. Thank you, and I think I think you're right. I think um, we talk about leading out, like my husband wrote a letter To his grandparents, he's got a huge family. So calling individually wasn't going to work. And uh, we sent a a letter. He wrote a letter about how we're handling it. This is what we're doing. This is how we're supporting. And that's ideal. Yeah, it it really does. It says, this is, it kind of says, this is what we're doing. And it a little bit says, and this is what you're doing as well. (laughs) So (laughs) you'll be coming along with this or, you know. This will
2: enable us to have open relationships with you
0: yes and it worked really well for for at least one set of very conservative grandparents so
1: Mm.
0: so if you can lead out sometimes as a parent with that strength
1: grandparents
2: generally do want to have relationships with their grandchildren and can have a little bit more room if they're prepared in just that perfect way allison
0: yeah yeah i just think if we lead out okay the very last question and we know you have lots to do still tonight but um how has your calling to lift and love? and we believe that this is your calling, Lisa, what you're doing, what you it's remarkable. I mean, I've been in awe of you since I met you right after my brother's death and I'm just met you for one second but just watching you um, oh. fulfill this calling but how has it changed you? what you do?
1: oh gosh. <clears throat>
2: That's such a huge question, Allison. Is that on my list? (laughs) Um, Well, it certainly has made me busier. Um, It has given me energy that I didn't know I would have at this stage of my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, At an age where I think most people start to retire, I I have a more expansive view of who God must be and what God has in mind for all of us on earth than I could have imagined 10 or 15 years ago. Getting to know people, spending hours and hours and hours of my life listening to individual stories day after day after day, coming to know people's hearts, helping people learn to trust themselves more than what anyone tells them about themselves. Has helped me understand, I think, the purpose of our lives. That's kind of what I'm hearing from the two of you too. Is that this journey has helped you trust what you understand
1: mm-hmm.
2: about your own life and love and your children more than what anyone might tell you about them.
0: Yep. Absolutely, perfectly put. Stated. Yep. And what a gift it is. Yeah. What, what a real gift. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for That's having me. Well, thank you guys have. are awesome. Well, thank you for being there. Thank you for being there to teach us as we're all trying to figure this out. And, and if somebody wants to
1: donate or get in contact with you, how do they do that?
0: Hmm.
2: Well, you can donate right at the website, uh, flourishtherapy.org. There is a button there that you can donate. You can certainly get in touch with me at lisa at flourishtherapy.org happy to talk with anyone this is I, I spend my weeks doing therapy and training therapists and then my weekends talking to parents mm, so good i have a good husband yes, <laughs> who say. supports
0: all of this uh, I love he's that. never complained oh. Really? what a man well he's it's a mission it. for both it's of you going, yeah mm-hmm. what a guy oh that's wonderful well give him a big squeeze then <laughs> from us because it's getting late and thank you thank you so much this was really helpful. I, yes. Thank you, Lisa. I love it. Thanks.
1: Thank you for joining our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Lift and Love Podcast. And if you like what we share, we
0: would be so grateful if you would leave us a five-star rating. For more tips and resources, follow us on Instagram and Facebook under Lift and Love Org and Jenny Hunter Coaching. You can also go to liftandlove.org for loads of information and entry into our free support groups. If you're interested in personal coaching, sign up at JennyHunterCoaching.com. The first appointment is free. But most importantly, remember, you are not alone in this journey. We are building a community of thriving and faithful LGBTQ families who are here to lift and love you.